You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast. This is episode number three, and we have your very own host, Julie, telling her story today, her birth stories today with you guys. Ladies, I'm telling you, her stories are amazing. And if you'd like to watch one of the videos, check out our Instagram because she's got a breathtaking video <laughs> and on our YouTube. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Welcome, welcome, women of strength. We are so excited to have Julie retelling her story today. And in addition, we want to talk a little bit about choosing a birth location. This is something that Julie definitely had to encounter in the middle of her pregnancy. So without further ado, I want to turn the time over to your very own Julie Frankham. Yay! I am so glad to be sharing my stories with you guys today. Megan's right. You know, my second V or my first VBAC, which is my second child, and my fourth child, which was my third VBAC, I I switched birth locations twice for my first VBAC and three times for my fourth VBAC or my fourth baby is just well I guess I had three different birth locations anyways uh, but I'll tell you all about that when it comes up so so yeah something that we we're going to talk about is how to pick your birth location because there's a lot of different options out there one thing I want to note before we get into it is we are on episode three right now and we are actually re-recording. We've re-recorded the first three episodes of our podcast because when we first started, we were brand new, total noobs, podcast really babies, figuring out <laughs> what we were doing, and so we were just using our own cell phones and our our storyteller cell phones and a free conference call line. Recorded the call. I downloaded a free software editor and edited them myself and uploaded them, and so. From here on out, like after this episode, from episode four until I think around episode 30 to 32-ish, the audio quality might be a little different than what you're listening to right now. So just bear with us. The stories are still really good. And then after that, we are officially in a professional studio now. And so we're excited. So if you notice a significant um, audio quality difference in the coming episodes, just know that that's our very beginning, our very fresh start. And we are so excited to be um, improving in all of the ways. All right. So as with every good VBAC story has a cesarean story. And I think mine is not very different than most women, but I guess I can just kind of start at the very beginning. My husband and I, um, we tried for over a year to get pregnant with our first. And we were so excited when we found out we were pregnant. And by that point, I was kind of, I, I, Obviously, first-time mom, still had no idea what I was doing, but I knew that I wanted something different than the hospital like birth experience. My friend had introduced me to like hypnobirthing and unmedicated birth, and it was really exciting to me to learn about those options and explore those different things. And so, 
right off the bat, we interviewed a midwife at a birth a birth center, and and we were planning on going with a birth center, but then, you know, I can't I don't even know what led us there, but I just went back to my regular old old B at the same hospital that my sister in law had her babies at, and we ended up that route. But I was planning an unmedicated hospital birth. I um, had discussions with my provider about my birth choices and I felt really good and really confident going into the birth. And so I took a, I took a hypnobabies class. Like I was ready and I did my practice guys. I don't know if you're like me, but my mind is so busy. I practiced really hard every single night, listening to my scripts, making my mind find my happy place with pink sparkles or whatever flower blossoming things. And, and I tried really hard. I got really, I did, I did practice every single night and it was hard for me to get into the groove of, you know, getting into some sort of hypnotic and relaxed state. And so I, but I did, I was diligent. I did my homework. So I was working in a job in the IT department for a large company and we were getting ready to roll out this big system update, like site-wide, company-wide, you know, it had about 3,500 employees and I was part of this huge project rollout. And me being the stubborn woman that I am in a career that's mostly dominated by men, I was not going to let pregnancy slow me down. And so I was working 50, 55 hour weeks in my third trimester, getting ready for this product rollout. And (laughs) hindsight probably should have slowed down a little bit. But like I said, I was stubborn. I was determined uh, um, to, to pull my weight, even though I was pregnant. And so I remember there was a day where we were setting up a test site for a bunch of um, test users from different departments to come in and just test out this new system and this uh, new environment. And I got to work at about seven o'clock and we just working, 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 working. And my hands were swelling and I was like getting a really bad headache and um, making sure to drink water and things like that. And by my noon, I had such a really bad headache. I had a really bad headache. And so I went up to my manager and he and I said, listen, I know that we're supposed to be here like all day and and just have like lunch on site or whatever. But like I have a really bad headache. Is it OK if I like leave for an hour? I'm going to go to Neater's and get some soup and I'm going to go home and just like just rest for like an hour and then I'll come right back and see if I can get rid of this headache. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Like, take care of yourself. He's just always really nice. So they were never the ones to make me feel like I had to pull my weight. It was just me putting that pressure on myself. Just wanted to clarify. And so I went to Neater's and I went home. I sat on my couch and I was just like, oh my gosh, my head hurts so bad. And Tylenol just is just not cutting it. And so I called my provider and I said, hey, I have a really bad headache and my hands and feet are swelling really bad. And I've been drinking my water. I've been doing everything that that they told me to do. And I was just wondering if there's something else I could take to get rid of this headache so I can go back to work. And they said, um, well, your blood pressure was a little higher last appointment. And with the headache and the swelling, you know, we think we kind of want to um, want you to come in and do an on-stress test. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, I'll come in. So I went in, called my manager, and I was very apologetic. I'm like, I'm so sorry. They're worried about the baby because of my headache and I'm just going to go do an on-stress test and then I'll come right back to work. And he was like, no, it's okay. Why don't you just take the rest of the day off? And I was like, oh, okay. Well, are you sure? Like, cause it was a big deal. It was a big deal at work and we were getting ready. I just, like I said, I put all this pressure on myself. And so 
I get there and my baby was like barely passing the non-stress test. There was protein in my urine. My blood pressure was like through the roof. And so I call my husband who's at work and I'm like, um, there's something maybe a little bit wrong. So do you think you could just come to the hospital? Because I'm starting to freak out. And so he came to the hospital and, um, you know, they got the baby to where they were like comfortable taking him off the non-stress test. Because like I said, he was passing, but he was like barely passing. And so they were a little bit worried, but eventually they sent me home with a 24-hour urine collection, you know, the big old jug that you put all your all your pee in. That was wonderful. And it and I brought it back the next day and sure enough, um it was leaking and the blood pressure medication they had put me on hadn't even touched my high blood pressure. It was super high and so they doubled it and then they tripled it again, the blood pressure medicine and put me on like strict bed rest. I remember he said strict bed rest with with bathroom privileges at bed rest with bathroom wow. privileges. Yeah. And so for you. <laughs> I know. And then I went to target cause I'm stubborn. I did, and this is a hard thing. Like I didn't feel it was hard because I didn't feel sick except for like my swelling and the headaches and stuff. Yeah. I felt fine. And so it was really hard. And so I was on bread rest, but it was funny because I was not ready to leave work then. And I had, you know, I was a manager of this team and I had, big uh roles to play before my maternity leave so I remember I was like okay so I I called my manager and I told my doctor I'm like okay well um you can sign this medical order for me and I could you know have my what is it called short-term disability leave or whatever it all maternity leave um start but can you please date it for tomorrow so that I can log on to my computer at work and update all these things and so I went home and spent like 10 hours getting my replacement ready like 10 hours writing documentation and all these things for all the tasks that I did and all the jobs that I ran and everything. Did <laughs> I, at home? I, I did. I was at home on my, comp- on my couch, on my computer logged in because if you're on disability and they see that you're logged in, like it could cancel your, the payment that you get or whatever. And so, so there I was. And so I was, I was on, this was, I was about 34, 34, 34 and a half weeks pregnant by this time. And so the doctor um, gave me like his personal cell phone number and he's like, okay, if there's anything wrong, just call me or text me. And so, and then I went in for a non-stress test every other day. And so I guess that was part of my bathroom privileges, bathroom and non-stress test privileges. (laughs) So breaking the rules. I know. (laughs) Doctor's orders. So he was still just like barely passing the non-stress test every time. And my liver enzymes were starting to get elevated. And so my doctor said, okay, well, we're going to make it to 36 weeks and then we're going to induce you. So then I remember it was like a Tuesday morning and I was getting ready to go to my non-stresses appointment and my husband's like, shouldn't we pass the ho- pack a hospital bag? And I was like, well, I'm only like, like I'm like 36 weeks, like tomorrow. I'm pretty sure we're not going to have the baby today. But he's like, well, I'll just pack one just in case. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, just in case, I guess. So we go there and sure enough, they wanted to induce me. They induced me because I had preeclampsia. My blood pressure was through the roof. Even on a triple dosage of the blood pressure medicine, it was crazy. And I had pitted edema, you know, like you touch like your swollen skin and then you take your finger out and like it stays there. (laughs) Yeah, it was awful. And so um, by that time, like I had hired a doula and I was still like wanted to go unmedicated. And so I called my doula in. So they actually they started Cytotec the night before and then in the morning we called my doula and because they were getting ready to start Pitocin and um, she brought my husband a breakfast burrito which was really nice and 
they were getting things going and they started Pitocin. And then, you know, I was still planning on an unmedicated hypnobirth, obviously like unmedicated minus the Pitocin and the, you know, I just didn't want to have an epidural. I wanted to just be able to move and do my hypnobirthing. Right. Mm-hmm. And at this point I was still like so sure. Cause like I had practiced, I had practiced so hard. Ready. I was ready. <laughs> and so they said, well, with your blood pressure the way it is, we really don't want you to go unmedicated because if your pain's too, if it's too much pain for you, then your blood pressure is going to go through the mm-hmm. roof and you could like mm-hmm. stroke out or whatever. Wow. Yeah. I know they told me that. So, um, so I was like, oh, well, that's pretty dangerous. So they're like, well, the anesthesiologist is getting ready to go into a surgery. So, um, we should probably get him in here now just so your blood pressure doesn't get too much, too higher. And like at this point, like my doula is still sitting there hanging out and having conversation and, we're talking and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's do that because I, I don't definitely don't want a stroke or anything, you know. Mm, and so yeah. the anesthesiologist comes in. I do my hypnobirthing while I'm getting the epidural. And the nurse was like, oh, you would be such a good candidate to do hypnobirthing because you did a really good job while you were getting the epidural because that hurts for a lot of women. I'm like, well, I'm barely contracting. I think I was dilated maybe to like a three at that, or a two mm-hmm. or a three or at that point, like not a lot. And so it wasn't even anything too intense yet. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, whatever. Thanks for that, I guess. So I labored and labored all day. And I guess I could say labor, but I just, it, it's so weird because all I remember was not feeling anything and talking to my doula and my mom and my mother-in-law were there and my husband. And we were just like laughing and joking and having a good time until it was like late afternoon and my doctor comes in to do a cervical check and I'm only four centimeters and he calls it and he's like, "There, you haven't made any cervical change. Your baby's heart rate isn't doing very good. We need to do a C-section. And I just started crying because up until he said the word C-section, it hadn't even crossed my mind, mm-hmm. right? Like I had done hypnobirthing. Yeah. I did my homework every single night. I drank the water. I did everything I needed to do. And I think it's like, I think that's like, what a lot of first-time moms feel like. It's unexpected. They, yeah, it's unexpected. They don't think they need to worry about having a C-section because they're prepared and they're ready and babies come out of vaginas and only emergencies need C-sections. Right. But uh, then all of a sudden, you know, um, your doctor is calling it and you're like wondering how the heck you got there. Right. And so so we went in for a C-section. My baby was born at 5.50 p.m. Right during that smack dab prime time C-section time for babies between five and six is um, the highest spike in cesarean births is between five and 6 p.m. So um, I joke that my doctor was able to make it home for dinner. So um, anyways, (laughs) so the funny thing was about that is, oh, my goodness, I'm I'm starting to try. I'm trying to tell like way too many details, but I remember going into the OR and I remember like being strapped down and I remember my husband just holding my hand and just talking to me so calmly in my ears and he was telling me you know how awesome I was doing and how how beautiful I was and he was just telling me all the right things and keeping me nice and calm and controlled and little did I know until that um, until afterwards that that was like the most freaked out he's ever been in his entire life like seeing me cut open and he was so scared mm, yeah. and my husband's like not a type of guy to get scared he's like the most chill guy you'll ever meet he he doesn't have a lot of emotional like var- variants I don't know if that's the right word to say but like he's just really chill like there's not a lot that gets him worked up um he gets really excited about superhero movies and football um and he cried during the Avengers movie 
spoiler alert if everyone wisps away like he cried he didn't cry at our baby's birth or anything but like Mm. that so this is like the type of guy we're dealing with here he was really scared and he told me that and after you know the he's a brand new barely 36 weeker and so he wasn't quite too early but he was early enough that they had some concerns so he took they took him away and my husband went with him and my doula wasn't allowed in the OR so I'm alone and then um I told my husband, you'll go with the baby. Just go be with the baby. That's important to me. And I was just sitting there like alone. And I'm like, okay, well, good. Like stitch me up. Get me into the recovery room. I need to, I just want to meet my baby. And so like, Mm -hmm. you know, they lifted him up. I just got to see him for like half a second. And then, and then he was gone. Mm -hmm. And then my husband went over and took a picture of him and brought back the camera to me and showed me the picture. And all I remember is seeing like a really big cone head, which was weird because I was only four Hmm. centimeters dilated. Yeah. And he was a 36 weaker. Yeah. Which is really weird. Interesting. And so I have to show you the picture. It's on my computer right here, actually. Anyway, so I was in the recovery room for two hours. They let my doula come into the recovery room. But while I was in the recovery room for two hours, I was awake. I come out of like anesthesia very well. And they wouldn't bring my baby to me and they wouldn't take me out of the recovery room. And in the meantime, my mom, my mother-in-law and my husband are all in with my baby and everybody got a turn to hold him before I even got a good look at him. Mm. And that's That's probably, yeah, that's probably the part that like really hurt the most is that everybody got to touch him before I even got to see him. Mm-hmm. And then they wheeled me into the nursery mm-hmm. and I got to hold him long enough to get a first family picture. When, by the way, I've been on magnesium for like eight oh, hours. Yeah. So I look like a 300 pound marshmallow oh, man. Yeah. I'm like, like I looked, I looked awful. Morphine's hard. No, magnesium. I mean, not morphine. <laughs> That's what I meant. Magnesium. Morphine's awesome. <laughs> yeah, magnesium is hard. It hard. It yeah. makes you feel like yeah. yeah. I was feeling so crappy, and then yeah. this was obviously late at night, so it had been. It was probably about nine o'clock at night by then. So I went into my room. My baby slept in the nursery. I slept in my room all night long, and and woke up, and then everything. You know, he's in the he's in the hospital for two weeks, and. I wasn't discharged for a week after my C-section because my blood pressure was still so high. They were really worried. And so I had some really kind of weird experiences in the hospital. But um, for time's sake, I will not go into them right now. But if if you want to know about them, you should submit a question for our Q&A next time we have a QA and a episode. But he was there for two weeks. I got to live in the hospital for two weeks because they always had an extra room available in the labor and delivery unit. So like I, I was only allowed to see him every three hours for 30 minutes to try and feed him. And breastfeeding didn't work because he wasn't gaining weight. So they gave him formula and it was just kind of like the whole cycle. So that was that birth. And looking back on it, when I was preparing for my VBAC, I don't think there was ever a time where I was like, oh, I wonder if I can have a vaginal birth. I just kind of always assumed thought it was an option. Yeah. I just thought it was what people did. Right. I didn't realize that it was such a big deal yeah. to have a VBAC. Mm-hmm. And so once I started, once we got pregnant, I started talking about it. People were like, weird. Like, what are you doing? Like, are you sure? And I started out by transferring to, um, um, oh, by the way, <laughs> something interesting to note about uh, my OB is that Every time like they would come in and they would check my cesarean scar, the nurses would always say, 
oh, I love that doctor so much. He has such beautiful stitching. Every time, every single mm. person would comment about how beautiful my stitches were. Oh, your scar is going to heal so nicely. He has such beautiful stitching. And like, if I, I just really just didn't want to hear that anymore because mm -hmm. I like, if I'm like, yeah, I know my cesarean scar is going to be beautiful because um, the doctor has beautiful stitching. And I come to find out they actually call that doctor the quilter. Um, mm, yeah. Because he's known for his beautiful stitchery. Wow. <laughs> but that's someone you don't want to be. With. A little, I bet you guys didn't know. Not sure if you, you know this, but Megan and I actually had the same doctor for our cesareans. Yeah. And yes. as that's in, definitely yeah. someone that you, if someone has that <laughs> nickname, it's not maybe not a someone good that reputation. you want to be with if you don't want a C section. Yeah. For if sure. If you do want a C section, good guy to go to. Maybe good guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So for my feedback, I started out um, just transferring records to um, a midwifery practice in a different hospital. And then I learned about home birth and I felt really drawn to it. And so I was talking to my husband and I I want I was talking to him I'm like, I need to hire a doula. So my first doula for my cesarean birth, like we I just hired a cheap doula. I'm like, what's the difference between a $300 doula and an $800 doula? So mm -hmm. we hired a $300 doula and not that $300 doulas are bad. It's just could be, a, it's important to know like what, why they're priced that low and what kind of experience they have and how confident they are in supporting your, your specific type of birth. And so my husband <laughs> calls her the most expensive foot rub I ever had because he pretty much, she pretty much brought him a burrito and rubbed my feet and when push came to shove, you know, when C-section was called, she didn't say, well, do you have any questions? Do you ha want to know what questions there are to ask? Do you need to have a second to think about it? Do you need to pray about it? Do you need to, you know, I mean, what do you want to know what other options there yeah, might be? Say like, alternatives. She didn't yeah. tell me. She didn't speak up at all. She just let it mm -hmm. happen. Mm -hmm. And which is, I mean, like as doulas, we can only do so much, but like yeah. you can ask if your client has any questions, yeah. you know, at the very minimum. And so I told him, I'm like, I'm going to, we're, I'm going to interview as many doulas as I need to until I feel like I found the right one. And I don't care what she costs. And we're going to interview as many home births as we want to mm -hmm. until we find the right one. And cause I really feel like home birth was is the right, the right option. Yeah. I just really felt like it was. So I was, um, oh my goodness, there's so many different details. So I found my doula and I interviewed about 12 doulas before I found the one that just felt right and we clicked and she wasn't the cheapest doula and she wasn't the most expensive doula but she was just the right one for me and so that's why when I when I talk to people I'm like don't hire a doula based on her price hire a doula that feels right mm -hmm. hire a doula that feels right to you for your circumstances and so so then I started interviewing home birth midwives and I actually interviewed about four or five until I found my midwife whose name is Melissa Mayo and with birth journey midwifery for those of you in Utah. And I knew she was the one for about five minutes after meeting her because I walked into her birth center and we sat down and started chatting and I just felt like I was home. I just felt like I was home. And I tell that every time I tell this story, I say that because it's true. She just has this loving, warm spirit. She bent over like a thousand births. She knew exactly what to do in emergencies. We had a good backup plan. She like knew all the questions and she knew all the answers to all the questions I had. She, she was just really, really good. So we were had planned on switching about halfway through my pregnancy. So in my last appointment with my in-hospital midwives, you know, I was still learning and 
growing and figuring out all, you know, all this, all these things, all the intricacies of mm-hmm. VBAC. And I was, I wanted to know at this particular midwife practice, there was about probably like 16 or 12 to 16 different midwives that shared like a rotating call. It's so like you would meet with different one every time you go in and, and then you just get who get when you have a ba- have the baby. And this particular midwife I had met with, it was my, my third time meeting with her. And I said, I asked her, I, you know, I was already transferring to home birth anyways. I was just, at the end of my appointment, I just grabbed my medical records. You know, that was my plan. But I asked her, I'm like, you know, I'm thinking about transferring care to like a home birth. And like, I, I want to know what your opinion is on that. Like, what do you think about that? Because like, I really wanted to know, like, I genuinely wanted to know because one thing about me is I love to know all the opinions and all the options and all the sides to all the stories. Mm-hmm. And so she looked me square in the face and she said, if you have a home birth and your uterus ruptures, you and your baby will die. Wow. She said it just Very like bold. that, just like that to my face. And I was kind of caught off guard and it's really hard to catch me off guard. Like it's really hard. And so whenever I get caught off guard, I like, I like, I'm sure I look pretty, like pretty dumb, <laughs> but I like, didn't know whether to like laugh because she was making a joke or whether to like feel sad because she really didn't know what the real information was or just like, just like, I don't know. I didn't know what to do. So I just like, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's scary. I wouldn't want that. And then I walked out and I laughed because I called my husband and I told him, that, you know, what she had said and he said, well, that's why we're switching to home birth. And at that point, I knew that like he was on board. He was on board and it took a little while to get him there. So for those of you that are considering home birth and have an objective partner, just keep on him. I just told him, I'm like, listen, if you like, I've done all this research, I've done all this information. I feel comfortable with that. I know the statistics. I know the odds. I know the chances. And this is the right choice for me. And unless you're going to do that research and learn the evidence and learn the facts and learn the statistics and learn all that information for yourself, we're going to do this my way. But when you do want to do that and you want to learn all of those things, I am happy to have an educated Mm -hmm. conversation with you about this birth. Mm. He's probably like, okay, and I'll then, do what you say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he did. He did learn a little bit, and he did some digging. Definitely not as much as I did because I'm definitely the more of the like really want to know all the intricate details of all the things. But like he got to know enough to feel comfortable enough with with the decision, and then we went into this being both of us comfortable with it together. And so it's funny because I really felt it really felt great. So let's just like kind of jump ahead to the week of my baby's birth. <laughs> Because a lot happened then. So the week before my baby was born, my husband's grandmother passed away. And so to make like a really long, dramatic week short, um, my sister-in-law was also getting um, getting married the week after she passed away. And so we went, uh, this was how the week went. So Saturday through Tuesday, all this, uh, my in-laws family was coming into town. Wednesday was the funeral. And then I was 38 and a half weeks pregnant and everybody was saying, oh, Julie, how are you doing? You're getting so close to having your baby. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing actually really good. Baby can come whenever he wants because in my mind, I was a first time mom and I was going to go to 42 weeks. I had just set my heart on having a 42 week baby because I was so sure that I was going to go past my due date. I just like convinced myself and accepted that fact. And I was really patient. So, you know, baby can come whenever he wants. I want him to pick his own birthday. 
And so everyone's like, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be so funny if you had your baby this weekend, the weekend of the wedding and after this funeral? I'm like, yeah, that would be funny, but it's probably not going to happen because, you know, I'm just like a first time mom. Um, So Wednesday was the funeral. And then Thursday we drove to Bear Lake, which is about a two and a half hour drive without stops from our house, because that's where her internment was going to be. She was, she's buried up on a hill overlooking the lake and um, a nice, beautiful spot, nice, beautiful cemetery up there. So we drove with the whole family all the way up there and then drove back the same day. So we were in the car for five hours. I was 38 and a half weeks pregnant with an almost two-year-old in the car also. It sounds awful. It was, well, <laughs> it wasn't so bad because, you oh, know, I was feeling driving. good. I oh. was so happy. I was past 36 weeks pregnant. I was like, I was feeling good. I had no health issues. I was having Braxton Hicks, which made me happy because I knew my body was working. Working. Like I had prepared so much more. I had a great birth team. I had a great doula and like everything was just felt so good. And so it really wasn't that hard on me. Uh, I was making sure to stay hydrated. I was taking baths every single day with one to two cups of Epsom salts to get that really good magnesium to make sure my blood pressure was gone and I didn't have any heart issues or anything. Like I was taking such good care of myself. So I felt really good. And then the next day was Friday. The wedding dinner was in a a town called Logan, which is a two hour. Well, it's about, yeah, it's about a two hour drive from our house. And so we drove up to the wedding dinner and on the way to the wedding dinner, my husband, or I, I like having had a really strong Braxton Hicks contraction. And I like said, wow, that Braxton Hicks was really strong. That's cool. Like my body's getting ready. Like it's working. And then um, a little bit later, I said, oh my goodness, I just had another one of those really strong Braxton Hicks. That's so weird. And then by the time I had that three times in a row, my husband was like, uh, should we be timing these? And I said, no, they're just Braxton Hicks. This is not real labor. And so by the next time I'm like, wow, this is really uncomfortable Braxton Hicks contraction. I, I was just assuming it was just because of all the time in the car and all of the stress from the week, you know, with the funeral and planning for a wedding. And <laughs> he was like, well, that one was just 10 minutes from the last one. And I was like, wait, are you sure? So I got out my contraction timer and the whole way up to the wedding dinner, my contractions were like 10 to 12 minutes apart. My Braxton Hicks contractions. I was like, man, my Braxton Hicks contractions are in a pattern. That's so weird. <laughs> and... We got up to the wedding dinner and I'm like texting my midwife and my doula and my midwife said, you know, put your feet up on a seat and make sure you're just drinking lots of water. It's probably just like some early labor because of all the driving and all the stress you've been under. So just make sure you have your feet elevated and um, that you're just staying hydrated and that you're taking it really easy. So I'm sitting there at the wedding dinner, um, have my feet up on a chair and like my, um, all the chairs at the table are full. And my sister-in-law walks up to me, not the one getting married, a different sister-in-law walks up to me and she's like, Hey, can I sit there? And I looked at her and I said, um, no. And she like got this grumpy look on her face and walked away to go sit at another table. And I felt really bad. I'm like, well, I'm just kind of trying to not have a baby, but I don't even know that it's necessary to have my feet up on the chair. But my midwife said to do this. So that's just what I'm doing. But she was like so (laughs) grumpy. (laughs) So, so on the way home, they were still there. They were still, you know, 10 to 12 minutes apart. And then I went home and I took an Epsom salt bath and they slowed down a little bit. And I thought that was that. And, you know, the next day was the wedding. So then I woke up at 530 in the morning to my water breaking. And I woke up my husband and I was like, Nick, my water, my water just broke. And he said, 
um, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm literally sitting in a pool of water. I am pretty sure right now. So I'm mad. I'm, I'm mad because it was the day of the wedding. Like it was the day of the wedding. And so in my mind, I'm like logicking myself through this. I'm like, Oh, that's okay. Like I know that like sometimes, you know, labor, ha- labor hasn't started yet because I was still in denial that I was in early labor the night before. I was like, some people don't start labor till like 24, even 48 hours after their water breaks. So I'm like, so that's okay. So I call my midwife. I text my doula. They're like, okay, try and go back to sleep and we will um, just see how it goes. And so I tried to go back to sleep, but I couldn't because it was so uncomfortable. You know, once that water's broken, it's just a lot, di- lot it's a totally different ball game. And mm-hmm. So, um, so we did kind of like get a little bit of rest, but contractions were picking up about seven to nine minutes apart. And so I got up and I got in the shower and my, I was talking to my doula and she's like, well, do you need me there? And I'm like, well, I don't know my contractions. Like I can still talk through them and but I'm doing pretty good. And they're only seven to nine minutes apart. And so I'm just going to like shower and get ready for the wedding. And my doula's like, you're not going to go to the wedding, are you? And I'm like, well, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm not in active labor yet. So I'm, I could probably still make it to the wedding and then just come home and have a baby. And she was like, okay, well, I think I'm just going to come over and see how you're doing. And so, <laughs> so she comes over and I'm standing there blow drying my hair and she is, <laughs> she is just, it's funny because this is why it's so important to find a good doula. We had such a good relationship by the time it was time for me to have my baby. I was talking to her almost every day. We came to be really close friends. And when she got there, it was like everything became regular almost instantly. I My contractions were like five minutes apart, four to five minutes apart. They were regular. It was starting to get uncomfortable. I had to stop everyone and you know make everyone be quiet so that I could breathe through them. And it's just like, she's just my security blanket walking in. It's like my body just knew it was time because my doula was there and I was ready. So then my midwife's talking to my doula on the phone and my doula's like, you know, his labor's picking up. She's definitely in active labor and I don't want to be touched. Like she wanted to like try counter pressure and things. And I just didn't like it at all. I just, I just, I was so determined like to just do my hypnobirthing. Like I just want to breathe through my contractions and I just want to moan in during the contraction and then deep breathe and if anyone touches me or says anything it's going to break my contraction it's going to break my concentration and so I was just concentrating through it all of it through all of it and <laughs> and so I just did that and then the midwife came in and she got there and it was like instantly my body went into transition it was like it was just waiting for her to get there and it was funny because my doula told me afterwards that People thought I was just being a little dramatic because like my midwife, like I thought like I had to perform for my midwife because it was like as soon as she got there, like everything shifted to transition. And I I feel like it's just another like just another witness that having the right birth team is so important because she was there. My body, like everything was was set up and it was perfect. And it was in my body and my subconscious had everything it needed to birth this baby and so she tried doing hip squeezes and I like swatted her hands away (laughs) she didn't believe that I didn't want any counter pressure because apparently that's really unusual so so I remember I pushed for two hours and I remember just deep breathing deeply in and out between contractions I didn't push a single time I just I just worked on relaxing my jaw through the contraction and letting my body do the work and it did it and my baby was born and it I was so excited and if you've seen the video on my Instagram page um, we'll repost it today 
but I just couldn't stop saying I did it. I said, I did it. 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 For like 10 minutes, I looked at every single person in the room and I had two photographers and a videographer there and my mom was there and and my doula and my husband and my best friend. And like, I just making, I just crying and everyone was crying and it was such a beautiful moment and it was so perfect. And that baby got pulled out of the water right onto my chest and everything was beautiful and it was just such a perfect moment. And he was born in the afternoon. He was born actually the exact same time of day that I was born. He was born at 2.31 and I was born at 2.31 p.m. That's awesome. Both of us. Pretty cool, huh? Mm -hmm. So then I was expecting breastfeeding to go perfectly, but it didn't. And you can hear more about that in a special episode. I think it's number seven about my breastfeeding journey. Um, It's kind of too much to go into right here in this journey. But when I was eight months postpartum with him, we got a surprise pregnancy while I was switching birth control. So my second and third babies are 15 months apart and they're two and a half and barely turned four right now. And it's a really fun stage. (laughs) And when I say fun, I mean really hard and challenging in some ways, but also really good in other ways. But she was fun because she came at 37 weeks on the dot. I, I texted my midwife the second I found out I was pregnant same midwife, no problems. And I had her, um, she came at 37 weeks, like I said, on the dot. Labor started the exactly the same way. It was even the same day of the week. It was a Saturday. I woke up this time at 4.30 in the morning instead of 5.30 to my water breaking. And then I had a baby shower that day. Like my baby shower was the day I turned 37 weeks. And so I went to it and everyone was like playing this, the game of like, guess when the baby's going to be born? And I'm sitting there like on a birth ball and I'm like, y'all better guess today because I'm in labor right now. <laughs> like, called my doula. She came, she like drove me to the baby shower and drove me home and like things were kind of picking up, but nothing too regular. And um, I remember like I, we got home and I cut my husband's hair and then my son wanted a haircut. So I cut his hair too. And then I just looked at my doula and I'm like, you know, things really aren't getting regular. I think I just need to go upstairs and just get out of my own head and like slow down and just and just let things happen because I feel like I'm trying to do too much. And I feel like it's preventing labor. So just go home. Is <laughs> that my deal home? And so she said, okay. And I was texting my midwife who actually was in Alaska because she was like literally on her way to the airport to come home from Alaska because she was coming home the day I turned 37 weeks. So she um, there's a backup midwife that was there and my contractions were like eight to 10 minutes apart and it was really frustrating for me. So I went upstairs to lay down and take a nap and try and get things moving. And so I <laughs> laid down and then they just immediately got intense. And my husband was working the weekend, but he gets to work from home when he works on the weekends. So like it was like one o'clock in the afternoon, he popped his head in the bedroom and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like vocalizing through my contractions. And I'm like, yes, I just need to get in labor and get this baby here. Just leave me alone. And so so he left and I'm like on my bed, on my hands and knees during a contraction. But then there would be eight, 10 minutes between them. And so I tried to doula myself. I'm like, listen, if I was my doula, what would I say to myself right now? And I said, I said, I would say go based on how they feel instead of based on how far apart they are. And I was like, yeah, but they're eight to 10 minutes apart. Like I'm trying to figure like logic myself through labor and it just doesn't work when you're in labor. And so my midwife is texting, checking in and she's like, well, I think I'll just come. And then 
And then, and then I'm like, okay, well you can just come and cause I told her like how things were going. And then, and then my doula checked in and my um, photographer checked in and then uh, kind of at the same time, I'm like, yeah, well my midwife's coming. Why doesn't everybody just come? And then we'll just make a plan from there. And because in my mind, I was still like a day away from having a baby because my contractions were eight to 10 minutes apart. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they get there and I had in my head, I'm like, she, I'm just going to ask her to do a cervical check and then she'll find out I'm just like four centimeters and then everyone can go home and then come back in the morning and we'll have a baby. Cause it was like late afternoon by this time she got there and she checks the heart rate and she's like, this baby is so low that if it's going to take your videographer more than 30 minutes to get here, she might miss the birth. And so we called the videographer Mm -hmm. and she got there literally 10 minutes before my baby was born. My contractions only got four, like four minutes apart, 15 minutes before she was born, three pushes and she was out. Like the water was barely high enough to cover her head as she came out. (laughs) And the video of that birth is on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and find the VBAC link. And then for my fourth birth, really quick to sum it up, um, I was in prodromal labor for 30 days. So I went from trying to keep her in at 36 weeks to her being my longest pregnancy at 39 weeks and five days. And don't hate me because I said that because I know a lot of women go past 40 weeks. But I was so done by that time. Like it was my longest pregnancy by almost a week. And like mentally, I might as well have been 47 weeks. I was so exhausted and I was so done. And she waited until, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but there was a day um, in 2018, the beginning where there was a blue, full blue supermoon. So it was a blue moon and a full moon and a supermoon all at the same time. And she was born like the morning after that. So like the, during the night was when real labor started of that. I think mm-hmm. it was the pull of that full blue supermoon, something magical about that. And she was at the top of my birth canal and my water broke. And two and a half minutes later, she was out. Wow. I felt her shoot out of me like a rocket ship, you guys. It was straight up like a rocket ship coming out of my vagina. And I say that and I know you're laughing right now, but really like there was no pushing. It was like my water broke and she just fell out. But she was my biggest baby. Hmm. She was eight pounds, 15 ounces. She was my biggest baby. Wow. And I know it is, it's just so funny how it all happens. But but yeah, those are my birth stories. Oh my gosh, I forgot to tell about my switching providers because I started out with my same midwife, Melissa Mayo at Birth Journey. But for some reason, I felt like I needed to go to the hospital this time. And by, the, by this time, I had been a doula and I, I'd been to all, a lot of the hospitals in the area. I've worked with a lot of the providers in the area. And so I knew the hospital. I knew the provider I wanted to go to. Mm. So I, so I went and I broke up with Melissa. I tell him, I feel like I'm breaking up with you. I was like crying in her Mm -hmm. office because I just, for some reason, that's where I just felt like I needed to switch. And by that point I had knew enough to trust my intuition. Mm -hmm. And so I switched to hospital. And then every time I go to my appointment, I would be texting my husband because the wait was forever. And I'm like, I hate being here. I hate hospital birth. I hate that this is how it has to be. And I was like trying so hard to reconcile what I felt in my head um, with what I felt like with what I knew in my head was the right thing to do with how much I really just wanted to be at home. But then all of a sudden our insurance changed Mm -hmm. and I was reading through my insurance benefits. I felt this piece come over me that says, okay, now you can switch back to home birth. It was just like this piece that came over me. And so I called Melissa and I'm like, Melissa, guess what? My insurance changed. And that, and the network of hospitals that wasn't, that was in your network. Yeah. The, the hospital that I was going to was no longer covered under Mm -hmm. my new insurance. And I didn't feel comfortable enough with any of the other hospitals that were in network that I wasn't even going to dare set foot in any one of them to have a baby because I had been to those hospitals. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're a lot different now, but 
So we're, we ended up back with the home birth. So that's just kind of how my stories went. And you know, it's okay to flip flop. It's okay to switch. It's okay to change providers and birth locations as many times as you need to in order to feel comfortable. Trust your heart. Learn as much as you can. We say this over and over again. Learn as much as you can. Listen to what your heart is telling you and then get a kick butt birth team that will support the goals and plans that you have by reconciling your head and your heart. Absolutely. And voila. And just in case you didn't know, just a little quick fact before we get off um, here, there was a study done in 2018 by the um, American College of Midwives that um, did a comparison of home birth versus hospital birth. And most women birth in hospital, and that's perfectly fine. We do not hate hospitals here at the VBAC link. We love them, and we especially love ones that are extra supportive of VBAC moms. But the American College of Midwives, or what am I saying? AMA? Oh, American Midwives Association. Association. That's right. Mm Did a study that shows that home birth is just as safe or safer than in a hospital as long as four criteria are met. And the four criteria are... Home birth is planned, chosen, and prepared for. So like you know what you're doing. You have a provider that is supportive and has been to and knows how to support home birth in general. You have a really, really good backup emergency plan in case you need to transfer quickly and emergently and that you are a low-risk pregnancy. Mm -hmm. If you're high risk, you can't and shouldn't have a home birth. And VBAC does not make you high risk automatically. So perfectly safe. I love how you followed your intuition. And even though that meant switching and doing really hard things, talking to Melissa, you know, and like you said, breaking up or yeah, breaking up with her. her. I I always (laughs) say that I cheated on my provider when I switched. (laughs) But um, it's hard. And um, so, yeah, it's so important to follow your intuition. And I'm just proud of you for doing that. Oh, thank you So, so much. Love your stories. Well, there it is. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.